Last Sunday morning, we began to look at the activities that are involved in our public worship. And we started uh, with singing. Uh, we considered some foundational matters in that lesson about music to try to understand uh, what music really is. And we went over 13 New Testament verses that involve singing. Uh, or praise. And uh, if you were not here for that lesson, and if you were to have enough interest, you can go to our website if you want to hear what was said about singing. This lesson also involves singing, but it deals with a different issue uh, around singing. And that issue is why do we, that is, members of the Graber Road Church of Christ, not use any kind of mechanical instruments to accompany our singing during our worship time. Now, uh, if you are an observer, even casually, of the religious scene, you understand that most modern religious groups do use instruments in their assemblies. That means, of course, we're different. <laughs> And the question might be asked, why? Why are we different? Why do we not do what others do? Um, sometimes visitors to our services, and I'm talking about visitors from the community or relatives that are not members of the churches of Christ, uh, come to our services and they obviously notice that we do not have a piano, we do not have an organ, we do not have a band, we don't have any musical instruments that are a part of our worship service. Sometimes they ask why. Unfortunately, sometimes they don't ask why. They just wonder. Uh, are we strange? <laughs> uh, some may even be like uh, a woman uh, about whom Stafford North, a professor at Oklahoma University, told years ago, Brother North was preaching for a little church just north of Oklahoma City, and a woman visited their services, and after the services, as she was coming out, she said to Brother North, your church seems to be doing very well. Maybe soon you can afford a piano. Well, the truth is, friends, we can afford a piano. We're not too poor to have one. And that's not the reason we don't have one. It is not just a preference on our part. Uh, it is not just something that we say we want to be different than everybody else. In fact, uh, most of us would love not to be considered different if it were possible. But does it matter? Does it really matter? Does it matter one way or the other? Does it matter if we use an instrument or don't use an instrument? Some would say it doesn't matter. We believe it does matter. And we believe it matters because of a number of reasons that we'll get into later. But we need to start with this one. You heard it before, you're going to hear it again because it is fundamental. It is based upon what Jesus said in John 4. 
If you have your Bible, you need to have it open for just a moment to John 4 in that conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman at John 4 and verse 23, Jesus said to her, The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, would you take note of the word true, when true worshipers, incidentally, that tells you that some worship is not true. There is true worship and there's false worship. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Notice that also, please. God wants true worshipers. Worshipers in spirit and truth. And then Jesus explains, God is spirit. And those who worship Him must, M-U-S-T, must worship in spirit and truth. Real worship has to be in spirit, that is, with our spirit, from within us, from our spirit, and it has to be in truth. That's that means according to divine instruction. There's a difference between truth and what's not truth. God's word is truth. We believe that vocal music accomplishes both both spirit and truth. We believe that instruments of man to accompany singing accomplish neither. Not spirit, not truth. Now the examination of the question why a cappella could last for weeks, in fact it has lasted for weeks, about 11 years ago, we took an entire summer on Sunday morning to study about music and the title of that series was called The Case Before Us. I'm not going to go back over that, but it was an entire quarter trying to set out correctly what the Bible teaches is the difference between singing and singing with instruments that are humanly created. We're going to just take one class to do it. And anyone who wants to consider the question more, if I don't say everything that you feel like you need to hear, let me tell you, you can do more investigation. Uh, I will help you do that if you need to do it. Now before we look at point one on your outline, let's be sure that we understand the meaning of the term acapella. Because, you see, a cappella is not really a familiar term to many people. The word a cappella is from the Latin, and it literally means in the style of the chapel, or some say in the way of the church. What's interesting is that if you looked at a modern dictionary, a Webster's Dictionary, you would read the definition as without, notice, without instrumental accompaniment. When we talk about a cappella music, we're talking about music that is not accompanied by some 
instrument that is mechanical. Now, this contrast with the term cantata, you may have heard that term when some performance is being put on, that it's a cantata. Cantata is also Latin, and it refers to music that is accompanied with instruments. Now, I, I want to note again, and, and please forgive me for being redundant, but it's very important that I be so, there are just two kinds of music. One is vocal, one is instrumental. It does not matter if you combine them and sing while somebody's playing. There's still just two kinds of music. There's not a third kind of music. When we discuss the issue of using instrumental music in our worship, we have to realize that there are also only two possible conclusions we can reach. Conclusion one is that it is right. Conclusion two is that it is wrong. If it is right, we are free to use it, and we should never try to forbid it. If it is wrong, we should not use it, and we should never allow it. We, we would not believe that we should allow anything that's wrong to be a part of our worship in the church. Okay, let's think about several things. Number one, let's think about what is not part of the question. What is not part of the question is that it does not matter whether we like or dislike instrumental music. That's not the way to solve this problem. What does matter is what God's Word teaches about the kind of music He wants. And we would insist that God has not left us in the dark about what kind of music He wants. He has specified what He wants. Remember also that worship is to God and for God. Worship is not what we like or dislike. Never has been, never will be. Secondly, it does not matter which sounds better to us. I have heard people in trying to buttress the argument for non-accompanied music say, oh, but congregational singing just sounds so much better. Well, that's a human opinion. Somebody else may say, oh, but if we had a piano accompanying us, it would sound so much better. It might even hide some of the bad voices. Uh, so it, it is not a matter of what sounds better to us because that's a human preference. And God does not leave it up to us to decide. We don't have a choice in this matter. It's God's choice. Third, it does not matter what others are doing even other churches of Christ. Don't come to me and say, Alan, I think we ought to use instruments of music in our worship because there's a great big church close to us that uses it. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter what others are doing. If we were doing what others were doing, we'd be like all the denominations around us. We're not. It does not matter who among humans argues for or against instrumental music. 
Because, you see, men don't decide for us. It doesn't make any difference, truthfully, that I say we shouldn't or that some other preacher says we should. That's not how we decide. If we are governed by the Bible, the Bible decides. If we're governed by what some human says, then it doesn't make any difference what the Bible says. The second thing we need to talk about this morning is what is in keeping with the nature of New Testament worship. Well, again, we've seen it over and over, John 4.24. There are two tests that must be considered when we talk about uh, what's in keeping with the nature. Is it from the Spirit or, and is it according to revealed truth? Those are the two tests. And I would say to you this morning that singing meets both of those tests. Singing comes from within our spirit. It is from within us. And there are clear commands written to the church to sing. Clear commands. Let's look at them again. Most of you could quote them. Look at Ephesians 5.19. Ephesians 5.19, to the church at Ephesus, Paul would write, let's go back to 18, do not be drunk, incidentally, here's a great contrast, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You don't want to be filled with wine, you want to be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean, Paul? Speaking to one another Note, please, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Look at Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Notice the next phrase teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Anybody deny that those command singing? Can anybody say that in singing there are not some great advantages of teaching and admonishing and encouraging each other and letting praise come from our hearts to God. Yes. I'm sorry, I can't hear you, Don. Some have tried to define them... What's interesting is I've seen some that say the distinctions are probably more artificially created than are true. The, the general idea is psalms or or psalms are psalms, <laughs> in other words, singing from the psalms. But but others have said you know psalm is a song, and it may just be say singing songs. <laughs> Spiritual songs or hymns, both of those, 
would more likely refer to things that are uninspired if you take the first as being inspired. In other words, if you're singing inspired words of the Old Testament Psalms, but, but hymns would be created by a man to sing, and uh, spiritual songs, who again, would be written by someone uninspired. Uh, there is some disagreement about that. Uh, if, if it is to accomplish teaching and admonishing, it needs to be something true. In other words, and, and those psalms would be true, but spiritual songs and hymns should also be true. In other words, they should reflect truth. Um, Our our styles of singing uh, that we call singing have changed over the years. Uh, Some have argued about this. Uh, It it really is a bad argument, I think. Four-part harmony is not mentioned in the New Testament, but it doesn't violate singing. Whether someone sings bass or alto or soprano, it doesn't make any difference. It's still singing. Uh, Many of the early examples of worship were almost like a chant. In other words, people were chanting what they were doing, but it was still speaking from the heart. And and I'm going to deal with that in just a minute. Thank you for mentioning it, though. Okay, instrumental music, singing meets the two tests. Instrumental music does not meet either test. You see, if we had a piano and it were being played, that's not from your heart. Now, some people get mixed up when they think about something from the heart. They say, oh, that really touches me. Okay, that's emotional. That doesn't do anything from your heart. That's not you doing it either. The piano player's playing. You're not playing. Incidentally, and I'll get to that a a, a moment or two, or hopefully get to it before we conclude. If the arguments about instrumental music are correct, about it's not only authorized by God, but some have gone so far in the last few years as saying it is necessary. It's necessary. If a mechanical instrument is a part of our worship, each of us has got to have one. Because how can we all do what's commanded if only one person is doing it for us? Just doesn't make sense. You see, it can't be from our heart because it's outside of us. And this is the most damaging of all things, I believe. There are no New Testament passages commanding the church to use instruments. Not a one. Not a one. Okay. What reasons then... If that is true, what reasons are given for using instruments in worship today? Number one, used in the Old Testament. That has been a predominant one, used in the Old Testament. 
And I'm going to tell you this, and please understand this because it's very important. That's true. Instruments were used in the Old Testament, and it is my conviction they were used with God's approval because there is no condemnation of them. Some of our brethren, uh, in a very well-meaning way, have tried to say that instruments were always wrong. That's not correct. If they were always wrong, then God would have clearly said, don't do that. But he didn't. There's nothing at all in the Old Testament to suggest that God disapproved of them when they were used. Okay. But, but, but let's go back to the argument. Okay, it was used in the Old Testament. You know what else was in the Old Testament? Animal sacrifices. I have never heard anyone say we not only ought to use instruments of music because they were used in the Old Testament, we also ought to offer animal sacrifices. Why would you say one is necessary because it came from the Old Testament, the other is not necessary? They were both a part of worship. It's clear that sacrifices, whether they were grain or oil or animals, they were all according to God's will in the Old Testament. Why don't we bring those over? Well, for a very simple reason, friends. We don't live under the old covenant. The New Testament is abundantly clear that there's a new covenant. The book of Hebrews argues for it. There's a new covenant. Let me give you a parallel. There was a time when the 13 colonies were under the governorship, the oversight of England, right? England had its laws. People in the U.S., even though they were in the U.S. in the early days, were governed by English laws. But when we adopted our own constitution, what happened? We stopped following English laws. Can you imagine any sane person today saying, we ought to do what the English law says because we were once under it? Absolutely not. Of course not. We don't live under the old covenant and instruments of music were used under the old covenant but friends, think about this. That makes the case for not using them even stronger. Why didn't the early church use them? If, if they were a part of the old covenant and God wanted them to be a part of the new covenant, why didn't the early church use them? They were available. They had been used. They knew that. There is absolutely no record, and I hope to come back to this, there is no record that in the early days of the church any congregation used instruments of music. Why didn't they? Isn't it fair to ask, why didn't they? Someone said, well, it, you know, it, it was culture. It was culture. If, <laughs> if not using them would be culture, what would be accomplished? Jews were still using them. Wouldn't you just have made yourself an enemy more so of Judaism for not using them than if you had used them? Makes no sense. Makes no sense. Some say that it is not expressly forbidden that's been a favorite argument. There is no verse in the New Testament that says, do not use a piano. That's right. 
But if you use that kind of logic in your interpretive skills, my friends, you have to permit anything that was not forbidden. There is no verse in the New Testament that says you ought to burn candles for the dead. Is there? Of course not. We don't operate on the basis of only doing what is not expressly forbidden. Um, singing is commanded. That should be enough. And how are our practices to be established? Are our practices to be established by doing anything God has not forbidden? You know, there is no verse in the Scripture that says, do not be sprinkled instead of immersed. Why do we immerse people? Because we're taught to immerse people. We don't have to go through all of the other things. Look, if Mama sends Daddy to the store and she says, get a gallon of milk, and he comes back with a gallon of milk and a quart of ice cream and a bag of potato chips and 20 other things like most husbands do, does she say, well, that's okay because I didn't tell you not to bring the other stuff. She does not have to expressly forbid him bringing something in order for him to understand what she has asked him to do. God has asked us to sing. He has not said, don't use instruments. He doesn't have to. Here's the truth of the matter. A songbook doesn't change singing, does it? Projected songs don't change singing. You know, as long as David doesn't keep on playing that pitch pipe through the whole song, it doesn't change our singing, does it? Those are all things that are truly aids to singing. An instrument is not an aid to singing, it's an addition to singing. Now, in one way you could even question the idea, is it really an aid at all? What does it aid us? Because it is lifeless, it doesn't really express anything. You make up the expression. It doesn't express anything. Your voice expresses something. An instrument doesn't express anything. Look 
on your outline at points D, E, and F. I'm going to try to get through those on number three. D, E, and F. Instruments are mentioned in the book of Revelation. Great. Is every statement about worship in the book of Revelation literal? Absolutely not. And the fact remains that there is no mention of instruments being used by the church while on earth. Listen, friend, if you want to harp in heaven, just wait till you get to heaven, okay? Now, here come two reasons that are given for using instruments that are a sad reflection of what we've become. We just like it. We just like it. Oh, it sounds so beautiful to have that organist up there. Oh, it, it's so thrilling to have a big band up here. We like it. God does not allow us to determine our worship on the basis of what we like. Now, the truth of the matter is, if you love God and you want to honor Him, you will like what we do by God's command, not what you want to substitute for God's command. And here's the, here's the killer for us today in many places. Denominational people won't affiliate with us without it. If we don't use instruments, we're not going to grow. A nearby preacher for a very large church used that exact idea to sell the idea to his congregation. We will never become a mega church. We will never become a giant church unless we have instruments. That's sad. What else do we do to cater to community? Well, and, and friends, I'm not trying to be harsh, but, but let me let's be real, okay? Sometimes reality is not really harshness, it's just reality. There is not, to my knowledge, a single church that has adopted instrumental music in which that is the only thing they've changed. You know why? Because if you can change worship, you can change anything else. You can have Christmas plays, you can have Easter celebrations, you can have special performances. It doesn't matter once you cut yourself loose in worship. I do not know of any church that has said, the only thing we're going to do differently is have instrumental music. Now, let me go a step further. Let's talk about some hypocrisy. It is hypocritical to say God wants us to have instrumental music but we're going to have two services. One of them is going to be instrumental, which is what God wants. The other one is going to be what you old buzzards want. Not really what God wants, because He wants instrumental music, but in order to cater to you, we will allow you to have your own service. What kind of church has two different kinds of worship? It just is hypocritical, my friends. Rick Atchley, 
I'm mentioning names. I don't care. Rich Ashley, preacher in Fort Worth, is the most recent guy that got all this started. And actually got up in a series of lessons and said a lot of things that were false. One of them is God expects us to have it. And boy, the churches that wanted that jumped on it. They got Ashley's tapes. They encouraged people to listen to them and to believe them. And they accepted what Ashley said. Sad. And now we have, among churches of Christ, people who say, it doesn't matter. Let's just do what we want to do. Now, what are the reasons for not using? Let's be clear about this. Number one, they're not authorizing the Scriptures. That's, that should be the end of it, truthfully. If the Scriptures don't expressly tell us how to worship, then what do we do? Secondly, we know instruments were not used by early Christians. History shows that the first use of instrumental music after the church began was about 666 A.D. By that time, the church had already corrupted to the point that it was no longer the church. It was the Holy Roman Catholic Church. Pope Vitalian. But you know what? Even then, even when it was introduced, it was not accepted easily. So you went to about 1204 and a group split off that became known as the Greek Orthodox Church. They still do not use instruments. They still sing. A lot of people don't realize that denominational leaders of an earlier generation did not endorse instrumental music. Do you know that uh, among denominational churches, and I'm talking about Baptists and Methodists and Episcopalians and others, it was about the 1800s before they started using instrumental worship. And John Calvin and, and Spurgeon and uh, Martin Luther and a number of other denominational leaders all spoke against it. Why? <laughs> Were they all wrong? Instrumental music has been, in the churches of Christ, divisive. You know, uh, I, I had some notes, and, and, and I thought about getting to this. I don't know if I have much time, but in what we call the Restoration Movement, which started basically in America in the early 1800s, when people started saying, let's go back to the Bible and just do what the Bible says. Let's don't try to to be like the world or to accept denominational Let's just go what, by what the Bible said. When that movement started, there were no questions about instrumental music. The first serious question came about in 1850s when uh, a letter was written to the Millennial Harbinger, which was Alexander Campbell's paper, and Campbell replied strongly to it. He said it would be like a cowbell in a concert to have instruments of music. 
and, and it, the issue disappeared for a little while. But in 1859, in Midway, Kentucky, a little melodeon was introduced. It immediately became divisive. Churches split. And by the time you got a few years down the road, there were basically two different fellowships. One said, we will use it. One said, we will not use it. In the early 1900s and until about 1950 or 60, uh, the, the arguments that we were hearing mostly about instrumental music was about the difference between us and the Christian church, the group that decided to use instruments. But in the last few years, it, there has been a growing concern among a growing problem among churches of Christ whether they should use it or not. There are several reasons for this, folks. First of all, a new generation has come on the scene. And many of that new generation know absolutely nothing about this issue. Their friend might tell them what they ought to believe, or their preacher might tell them what they ought to believe. They don't know anything about it. They haven't read. And there seems to be a growing desire among churches of Christ to remove any barriers which would prohibit fellowship with other religious groups. We just want to be like everybody else. Now, whatever, whatever you think about the Church of Christ, let me tell you this. Our goal has never been to be like everybody else. Never should have been. Our goal is to honor the Word of God. If we do that, Hallelujah. If we don't do it, shame on us. We have no reason to exist once we say we don't care what the Bible says. And unfortunately, there is a growing disdain for authority today. You know it's true in your country, don't you? It's true biblically, too. I've actually heard people say, I don't care what the Bible says. I think we ought to use it. Isn't that sad? Yes, sir. And, and we've used the argument about Nadab and Abihu offering strange fire at the, and being struck dead. We, you know, again, it's a matter of do we obey or do we decide to do what we want to do? Let me, let me finish with this. We're just about out of time. I think if we understand the nature of worship, we'll see why Christians want to sing and only sing. Worship must be God-centered. Our goal is to worship God. That's the primary focus. We get benefit from it, but the focus is to worship God. Worship is done in spirit. And singing is suited to that. Instruments aren't. Worship must be edifying. You can't build each other up if you don't teach and admonish with the mouth.
Thank you for being here today. I appreciate it. If you have any questions or if you didn't like something I said, you come talk to me. I'll be glad to talk.